This is Fantastic Books and How to Read Them. The fantasy book review podcast for fantasy fanatics, book nerds, and lovers of lore and stories. Covering some of the most beloved fantasy series, as well as brand new novels. With your hosts, Sam and Anna Furman. Let's see what we're reading this week. Welcome, Welcome back, back, fantastic, fantastic listeners. listeners. Oh, I'm impressed we did that. <laughs> good coordination. Oh, man. It's the final episode. I know. I'm sad. I'm excited. I'm conflicted. It's surreal. We started this book covering the- these chapters March 2021. It's now August, literally going to be September 2022 in like one day. So a year and a half in the making with this wonderful story. I think we could have taken longer, but I also enjoyed the pace we took the book at. It was leisurely. Some weeks were more productive than others, but (laughs) all in all, it's been a fantastic ride, and I'm so excited to give this book a proper send-off. Yes, we've got some celebratory drinks. I don't know if you can hear us clinking them around. Yeah. In addition to celebratory drinks, we do have a couple of exciting announcements to make. Yes, this episode is ushering in our 20,000th download. So 20,000 people out there have listened across all the episodes, and that is such a huge and monumental way, I think, to send off this book. It is bigger than I ever thought our podcast would be, and it has been such an exciting journey. We've connected with so many fans. We've connected with so many authors. We've connected with people in our own lives who just say, you have a podcast? And it's been such a fun hobby that's been a really, really big part of our lives. And it's not going anywhere. Like, we're still going to be covering so many books we have on the docket. And obviously, we will always be coming back for more King Killer content here and there. And it's just so surreal. One exciting thing that we have to look forward to is that we are going to be giving a proper send-off to the series with a celebratory episode coming up. With our dear friends, where we're going to highlight our favorite moments of the book, our favorite characters, and just kind of spilling the tea on the world as a whole. We really love these books. To our fans, we know how much you love them too. So we couldn't just end with the finalization of the chapters. We definitely need to go out with a bang. So definitely be on the lookout for that celebration episode on the horizon. Maybe even two of them. Potentially, depending yeah. on how many friends we can rope into chatting King Killer Chronicles with us, which hopefully many. So that is going to be something we can really look forward to. And another announcement we have is that we have so many other books coming up. Like I said, this podcast has connected us to other readers and other authors. And because of this, we now have several authors we're going to be working with coming up. So after this, Next week, the final episode of The Treasure of Lorev by Brian Asher is coming out. As a surprise side project, I actually recorded the audiobook for his first book, The Assassin of Malcose. So that will be coming out soon for anyone who didn't get a chance to read that book yet. It will be available in audio if you haven't had enough of my voice by then. <laughs> then that will be followed up by The Headsman, which is a very small collection of short stories by Christina Merzoy. It is dark and brooding and beautifully written and we really enjoyed that we've read only the first half so far but we have loved it 
Following that will be a bigger novel, um, Alyssa Markins. She put out her first book in a, a series called Perilous Star, so that will be coming out probably in September. Dragons of Autumn Twilight, which is a very pivotal and foundational fantasy book, fairly well known in the genre, will be season three of our show. And then after that, we also have received a collection of short stories called I'm Sorry, Here's a Plasma Rifle by Aaron Hall, who um, also worked with Brian Asher. They kind of work in tandem uh, talking about fantasy on each other's Instagrams. Uh, so you can check those two guys out. And then the most recent author we're going to be working with and who we've connected with is Frank Morin. Uh, we haven't decided which book yet, but he has two big series that he's written, one called The Face Takers, which seems very intriguing and almost a little goosebumpsy. Cryptic, <laughs> stunning. I'm very excited to at least give that a read, let alone showcase on the podcast. Yes. Um, and his other series is called The Petrolist. So we have a choice between the two. That's what we have lined up for now. So it is a very full end of 2022, probably going to spill into 2023 with all of that content. Yes, it's back to school. This is our syllabus. And we are <laughs> so excited to dive into some really unique and original content. Yeah, we love covering new authors. It's really exciting getting to see what is coming out in fantasy and sci-fi in the moment, what is pushing the genre forward. And it's also really exciting to connect with people who are first-time authors and get a deep dive into their process, kind of pick their brains about writing, because we love to pick apart the books, but it's really cool to talk to the authors themselves as well. Honestly, that is my favorite part of doing this podcast, is actually being able to sit down and talk with the authors, because it's always one of those things I considered whenever I read a good book was, wow, like, you know, what was the inspiration behind a moment when writing this? Or where did you get the idea to come up with mm -hmm. playing out this character in this way? So being able to physically talk with these authors and dissect their work has just been such a great, rewarding process. It really, really has. Are we ready to pivot a little bit more into King Killer right now? I am ready, and All I'm right. so excited because we're covering chapter 149 through to the finale of the book. It's going to be good stuff. Before we get into that, I did want to talk about, I put out a poll to our listeners about what they are most excited about for Doors of Stone, and I had several responses, so I asked two polls. One is, what are you most excited to read about in Doors of Stone? Four answers were, what's behind the four-plate door? What's in the lockless box? How Kavoth cr confronts Cinder or the Shandrian? And how Kavoth rescues princesses from sleeping Barrow Kings? Ooh. So do you have good an answer? Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> what's your answer? Honestly, my biggest answer that I hope to see answered within these books is how Kavoth confronts the Chandrian because it's just been such a build-up this entire time. And I think when this actual confrontation happens, it's not going to go the way we think it's going to go. And I feel that it's going to be very anime-esque where, yes, you're going to have like this whole fight sequence and it's going to be impressive magics and physical abilities. Uh-huh. But it's going to be very, like, pause during like the action and we're gonna have heavy truths become revealed and shock value being dropped 
And I'm very much looking forward to a scenario like that. I think that sounds exciting. That is not what I'm most interested out of the poll. But you are joined by Ollie, Ash, and Nick, who voted for How Kavoth Confronts the Chandrian. The Chandrian and Cinder. I've pick what's behind the four plate door. That is something that I could think about for hours and hours and hours. And just like it would keep me up all night. I'm obsessed with learning what's behind the four plate door. So I was also joined by Maggie, Daniela, Johan, Carlos, and Katharina, who all want to know what's behind the four plate door as badly as I do. It could just be so many things. I honestly <laughs> feel that it is somehow related to the Waystones and the door to the Fey Realm. That is like my firm belief at this point. Okay. I think it could also be like where Halyax or Eax is locked behind. But then there was also like a fan theory I think we discussed once that maybe Lyra was behind the four-plate door. There's just so many options. I think that's why and what's behind it will really impact the plot, I think. Yes, and I think we've talked about this in dozens of episodes, but there is a subtle beauty behind the anticipated wait for book three because everyone has known that Patrick Rothfuss's writing is so intentional and little clues are always dispersed through the writing that's allowed the community to really pull resources from the text and come up with these wild and extravagant fan theories that it's almost going to be sad to get these answers because then the speculation is over. So I think the whole point of it is the the puzzle. Yeah. And I think it is slightly intentional on Patrick Rothfuss's part how long he's waited to put out book three because he does want us to like nitpick and find things as readers. And I think he's impressed when readers go that extra mile or extra 10 miles sometimes to find these tiny clues he's hidden. I think it's very gratifying for him. Oh, for sure. And I'm just really looking forward to just finding out Kavul's like, fall from grace. Because that's essentially what this is in book three. Well, hang on. That's a different poll I've done. <laughs> okay. <laughs> roll it back. Roll it back. Roll it back. The other option for uh, plot-wise, what people are most interested in is what is in the lockless box. So Jackie, Nick, Lucas, M, and I'm sorry, I don't know how to pronounce this. I think it's frl.nick all voted to find out what's in the lockless box, which is probably my number two option for like what I'm most excited about. We've talked about it in the past. I know common theory is the glass Salitos used to, or Salitos used to gouge his eye out. It could be the flute that EX used to call the moon. It could Ooh. be a piece of the moon. It could be, again, it's like tied to the four plate door in terms of like intrigue for me. Mm. Uh, nobody voted for Kavoth rescuing princesses from sleeping barrow kings. <laughs> so apparently nobody cares about that part. You know, I feel like that's just going to be either a play on words where when you hear that line, because it's like everything else where you have Kavoth's like resume of life mm -hmm. in that section where it's like, I've like encountered Felurian and lived to tell the tale. I've rescued princesses from sleeping barrow kings where it... It's not what you imagine. That's the whole point where you get a passage like that and you think of like a Prince Gallant scenario where it's like rescue the damsel in distress. Right. But I think the actuality and that's the whole theme of every Kavoth legend and story is not what 
the legends build up to be the origin of the truth is completely different it's, yeah it's different it's twisted or exaggerated in so many ways so i think it was captured in words had once put out a video discussing that with the thought process that it's ari is, is the, the princess. princess princess ariel and something with that resonates in me we could speculate forever, but I, I have a firm belief that that plot point isn't going to be displayed in the way that a lot of us think it's going to be. I agree with you. And that actually segues very nicely into my second poll that I made, which was what character reveal are you most excited about? And the Ooh, top okay. answer was who is Ari's real identity? Yes. Um, so the other options were how Kavoth meets Bost, Kavoth realizing he's a lackless, and who Denna's patron is. Ooh, 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 great. Um, hmm. We've speculated this time and time again. I feel like there is going to be a reveal in book three where Kavoth has his, like, oh shit moment and realizes that he is a lackless. He has to realize it, or else, like, the whole point of the poems talking about the lackless door and opening the door needing an heir of the lackless line are sort of moot right yes. like that's gotta be important but i feel like it's gonna be at a point beyond return where it's gonna be like huh he realized it a little too late to like do anything about it or i mean he almost realizes it too late at this point like he's already burnt the bridge with Maloin. she's never mm. earned yeah she's never gonna accept him as family no but also I think it's going to be one of those things where once it's revealed, it's going to be like, realistically, what do you do with that information? I think he'll have to realize it, like, in the moment of opening the door. If that's the case, yeah. Ugh. Okay, it's hard to discuss. Oh, it's so hard. And that's what makes these books, again, so fun and so enjoyable to dissect. Mm, you're right. So you would want to know Kvothe is a lackless. That's your, like, top pick. At this point, I'm convinced he is. It's more so... You want to see the, like... What he's going to do with that information, if he even decides to act upon it. Because he could be at the point where he's like, well, that's great. What am I going to do with this information? It's not like you can just march into a throne room and just be like, hey, I I'm self-declared. I'm so surprised you don't want to know who Dennis' patron is. That is my top <sighs> pick for sure. Like, I gotta know. I feel like I'm so... The desire to know is totally there. I'm just so frustrated <laughs> with that plot for so long that I'm just like, if it's not Cinder, not that I will be disappointed, but I'm just so internally convinced it's Cinder. Like I just. But there's also so many things going on pointing it to it being an Amir versus a Shandrian, or like, are the Shandrian and the Amir part of the same group? Mm. Oh, it hurts my head to think about. One last thing I'll say, and I'll let it be, but. My other secret hope for book three is this giant revelation where the Amir make themselves known to Kavolt and it's like, we've been watching you from the shadows. And it's like, you know, the masters at the university, it was Abanthi, it was Scarpy, it was like all these things. And like the sad, twisted part of like- The Ka whole time. The whole time. <laughs> like Kavolt just kind of being a pawn bigger than himself, all part of a- beautiful game oh my god so we'll see i don't know <sighs> reel it back okay it we're back. already getting too excited i think i know <laughs> i'm like stoked i'm so stoked we did have one listener message from barry delaney he just wanted to say that he found the podcast he is loving it especially the deep dives which we just got way too into 
And he, <laughs> he said he is on 25 to 26 of Wise Man's Fear, I think chapters. And he is hoping against hope that Doors of Stone will release by the time he's caught up. So this is the end, Barry. If for some magical reason, Doors of Stone is out by the time you get here, thank you for manifesting that into happening. Yes, if all not, points. we are waiting along with you. Um, so the wait continues. Yes. <laughs> and I think now it is time for the final episode of Wise Man's Fear. Chapter 149, Tangled. So we find Kavoth, Sim, and Fela at Ankers, and I'm just loving this interaction. It feels so Hogwarts dining hall esque, where they're just sitting down, like the debrief. Yeah, the de- it's a perfect debrief. Mm-hmm. Like have a beer, hang out, and I just it's, it picks up pretty quickly right after where Kavoth left off with Denna, and he's still reeling and how disappointing that whole interaction felt. Right, and as we mentioned the previous episode. All the things were there for it to be perfect, but it just wasn't. And it's either a concrete incompatibility with Kavoth and Denna, or they're just too young and dumb and getting in their own way. But unfortunately, all the good things happened, but nothing good came out of it. I think Kavoth actually sort of reveals through this conversation, and he himself doesn't see it because the conversation does end with Simon laughing at him saying, love is blind. But Kavoth says he hates not understanding a thing. And we have seen this about Kavoth. He, if he doesn't know something, he will nitpick it apart and research it until he gets to the end of it. And then he's mastered it and he's done with it, you know? Like, it's not intriguing to him anymore. He unravels the mystery. And he said, how can he love something he doesn't understand when he's talking about Denna? He's like, I, you know, I don't actually love her. I'm fond of her. But how could I really be in love? Like, I don't understand her. And they kind of just start laughing. They're like, dude, and I think that's the whole part of the intrigue is the not understanding. She is a mystery to Kavoth. She's unsolvable. And that's what keeps him on his toes. That's what keeps him thinking about her. If he could just solve her as the puzzle and move on, he wouldn't be intrigued by her in any way. So he really is explaining, like, this is the only thing he's come across in his life that he can't study and learn or pick apart and figure out. And that's why Denna is the perfect, like, foil and matching to Kavoth. Exactly. And I was just going to bring that up. Take it away. Because a little bit later in this chapter, Fela discusses Kavoth's dating um, reputation and what the other female population of the university thinks of him. Yeah, there's some gossip going around about him. Exactly. But the main takeaway from this conversation with Fela about Kavol's dating is that they all find him mysterious and intriguing and a little bit of a bad boy because, again, they can't figure him out. But they all have this one complaint is that he feels distant. And I think it's because he's not engaged by these women in the same way that Denna engages him, like, mentally and on an emotional level of trying to, like, figure something out. Right. And that's why his relationships with other people keep failing. But it's also a subconscious thing that he doesn't even realize where he's probably holding out for Denna. So he's mirroring these fast, flighty relationships just like her. Yes, yes, exactly. And then Fela does try to argue that, like, well, Kavoth, you've seen Denna with a bunch of other men and you feel mad about it. Now roles reversed. She's mad about it. 
maybe you should think about that. Yes. And he's like, I don't really understand why she should be mad. Like, I've seen her with dozens of men. But I think it's the fact that Dana was doing that as, as a sort of, a, of like survival. a financial thing. Yeah. And Kavoth is doing it as a way to occupy his time because he's bored because he doesn't have Dana. Also, I feel that even though Kavoth is exploring romantic interests, it's definitely kind of just abiding his time thing because he is bored and it's he's a young man. And, you know, obviously he had experiences for Lurian. So it's given him this kind of purpose as far as comparing experiences and enjoyment. Well, he also, like, has all these moves now he can use to pick up women. It's much easier for him than it ever was before because of everything he learned with Valorian and just his maturity as a character. Yes. And also his financial position. And I think you're right. I think he is just sort of biding his time waiting for Denna. But the activity he's doing is what's kind of frustrating Denna at the same time. Which, a little bit of a double standard, objectively speaking. I I get it, yeah. But, I, I mean, what people are, are irrational when they're in love. Yeah. So... It makes sense. Um, Fela brings up a few different things in this section, though, about how Kavoth has, like, kind of like a wild edge to him. Yes, and it's kind of funny where we finally get, like, a cards-on-the-table moment because Kavoth always found Fela attractive, and ever since he had rescued her from that fire in the fishery, he was kind of oblivious to it, but she was like gaga over him. Oh, yeah. And ever since he's come back from his experiences off in Vintus, and especially from his adventures in the Realm with Felurian, everyone has agreed that Kavoth has this fey around the eye about him. He's got an attraction is almost physical, and Fela kind of just lays it out in front of Simon, which is a little uncomfortable, where she's like, you know. She does, but I think it's also the kind of argument of, like, Kavoth is now this sort of bad boy, like, almost like celebrity status. Yeah. And, like, most regular people don't actually want to date a celebrity, you know? Like, it comes with a lot of extra stuff. Right. So she's like, Simon, you don't need to worry. Like, yeah, because Simon does have this moment where it's like all too much. It's like one of his insecurities totally brought to the surface where... Well, he had such bad luck with women for so long. And right, then and if then, it's like he's sitting next to his best friend and his girlfriend's being like, but this guy's got all these looks and the girls know he's got these moves. And when he looks at you, it's like, whoa. Yeah, of, of course. Of course going to be mad. One thing I did want to touch on, too, was when Kavoth first comes back to the university where everyone thought he was dead, Simon even says, oh my god, Fela, she had a thing for you, and then looks sick to his stomach, and Kavoth tells her, oh, I wouldn't get in the way of that. And Simon says, yes, I know, I trust you. And I think that line at the moment was a little distracting in the essence where it was like, does he really not... Or does does not trust Kavoth, but it was more like, does Fela's feelings for him outweigh her love for she Simon? does say that, like, Simon has, she says, you have me tied to you more tightly than you know. Mm. So, I don't know if that is foreshadowing in any kind of way. Like, is she pregnant? 
No, I think it's more just like a firm foundation of love, in okay, my I opinion. Um, I just didn't know if there could be like some devastating moment where like Fela and Sim have a kid and then like of course because this book is a tragedy like they all die and it's Kubo's uh, fault and it's just no. sad. <laughs> I hope not. I hope However, not too. um actually some interesting information does get spilled in this little lovers quarrel if you will where Fela is very well aware of how Mola uh flirts with Simon and you know it's okay for people to have outside relationships as long as it's within a respectful line and it's harmless and if it makes you feel good, it's fine. I don't and think so, it's even an outside relationship. I think it's just like someone compliments you, like you right. feel good, you know, or like someone's a little like nicer to you than they normally would be than like a regular friend is, but they're not overstepping any lines. Like, Yes, everyone wants validation in their own relationship, but, like, it still feels good to get a compliment, you know? Yeah, so all I was going to say was Patrick Rothfuss does a really good way of inserting good morals and altruistic relationships within these stories. Like, obviously, there's horrible things that happen with, like, the bandits, but when we encounter Kavolt's character, he's always respectful towards women. He tries to stop any harm from happening to the opposite sex. And oh, like you're saying that like it's pointed out that Simon shouldn't be like too possessive. Correct. And yeah, that I agree. I think Fela that's a good example. Then on the other hand says like, you know, everyone deserves attention and it's a harmless thing. So I think just as a fourth wall like break moment, it's just good writing. And I, it, agree. I think it promotes a healthy respect for relationships with people. Yeah, because you was the last thing I'll say about it because we need to get back to the story. I know, sorry. <laughs> but I do think it's good that it's a recognition that like you can get validations from people who are not your romantic partner and that shouldn't be overstepping any bounds. Amen. So one other thing that we encountered during this chapter in conversation with Simon and Fela with Kavoth is that all these girls that Kavoth had been hanging out with all feel that Kavoth in is... the end he's distant and that he's not around to stay. Right. And I think that's actually because not only of the way Kavoth feels for Dana, but he does have this lifelong mission of finding the Shandrian that most late teens, early 20s people don't have life goals in that way you know they don't have a hero complex of saying like this is my accomplishment in life and like i will do anything to get there and we've seen how kavoth will at the drop of a hat run off to do things that will help him learn more so like the madwin farm in name of the wind is a good example of how he just ups and runs to there when he hears that like there was blue flame or the shandrian may have been involved and that's not stable for a relationship no Imagine, it's not a like a like safe in the terms of like comfortable yes relationship. You wouldn't bet on like Kavoth as a boyfriend, you know. No, and I think it plays into the theme of like only a selfish, narcissistic kind of person will achieve greatness at times. Yeah, it's a certain type of personality that is a hero. Yes, and it's also common among um like celebrities and rock stars because i remember once oh yeah we were watching i forget what documentary but it was like all like a common thread among like the mega like 
celebrities. Well, yeah, because you have to sacrifice so much to achieve great fame and great work. And this is definitely Kvothe's path is like he will end up, I think, sacrificing more than he maybe bargains for mm. in order to get to his goal of defeating a Chandrian. Agreed. So while moving on in this chapter, we do have a very important conversation with Kvothe and Master Loden, finally. Yes. So Kvothe's kind of disappointed in what he hears from Simon and Fela, even though they are telling him the truth. He just doesn't want to hear it right now. Nope. So he ends up walking around and finding Mastery Loden, and their relationship has definitely changed since, since the back. beginning. Yes, where Mastery Loden used to avoid him at all costs and try to get rid of him. He's like, "Well, come sit and have some grapes with me," and come they're sitting under a tree. <laughs> find these pine cones. Um, and I think this conversation is actually very. Interesting right out of the gate because Kavoth is asking about someone who changes their own name and Elodin panics. This is something that's clearly not good. It's very dangerous, potentially, and right. very bad. And what we do know about Kavoth is that he has changed his name to Coat. And how dangerous that will be. I think that's actually fairly bad. Eventually, Elodin comes around and he's like, Oh, you mean the name that people go by, not like their name name? But I think Kavoth has changed his true name. Yes, he has. And you already kind of got to the meat of it before I could even dissect it because... Sorry, I'm so excited. No, no, I'm glad because all I was going to mention was this is a very well-written passage because it's almost written in... Like they're having a misunderstanding in the conversation. Exactly, where it's very unintentionally severe where it's almost played off in a comedic sense where it's like calm down quirky master loading i was just a like rhetorical question don't worry but it's clearly a full parallel in which we'll see at the end of the book when we're going over coat's ability to open his thrice lock chest yes before getting too ahead of myself though they when- are talking about denna here yes and how she's always changing her calling name as Elodin calls them and he gives a, a few potential reasons which does not satisfy Kavoth's question but he says like maybe she's trying to avoid the law maybe she's dissatisfied with like who she is right. and maybe she's trying to become a different person and Kavoth's like that just means you don't know so that's sort of the end of the conversation but I think those are fairly good character insights for Dana. Yes. So then Kavoth pivots and says, but I have called the name of the wind again. Right. And I really enjoy this last little tidbit of the chapter where Kavoth then regales the events that take place in Tarbian and how he brought the literally breath of life back into Denna, almost as a parallel foil of Lanre and Lyra. (gasps) Oh my God. How did I never see that? I just wanted to slip that in there. My brain is exploding. Hang on. I know. I'll give you a moment to reel. Oh my god, this could mean so many things. You're welcome. (laughs) Oh my god. Because then what if Dana is changing her name? And we know that like when Lanre came back, he changed his name from Lanre to Haliax eventually. But then there's also like possibilities that Lyra changed her name. Oh my god. 
I don't think it's her, and I don't think it's a descendant. I think it's supposed to be just as a Oh, no, no, parallel. I'm just saying it's parallels. Yes, But, yes, like, yes. I was drawing on all the parallels that, like, could be happening. I agree. I know. Oh, Mind shit. exploded. Oh, my God. Because we know what happens after that point in the Lon Ray Lyra story. So yeah. now we can Changing kind of name fig- only leads to disaster. figure out what's going to happen to Kavoth in his third book. Which I also think super intentional, where <gasps> Alodin essentially says if you change your name, it'll lead to disastrous results. And Kavoth quite literally changes his name to Coat, which means disaster. <gasps> and the world's in a disastrous state. So there's just so much intentional nonsense and irony, and it just... I have goosebumps. I need answers. (laughs) I I need answers. There's so many thoughts and so many questions. How are we having this many questions at the end of the book? No, but I feel like a good story leaves you with that. True. One Uh, of my speaking of which, it leaves us with this question: is that Kavoth doesn't answer Alodin when he says, "Do you have a ring of wind yet?" Yes. And he was like, "Maybe I do. Do I?" Uh, Oh, it's such a good passage because Alodin's like laughing and then Kavoth's not doing anything like taking it serious but we also know Kavoth is a master actor so is it a ruse is it true and then I just want to play into that too because during one of the rhymes about Kavoth and the rings he wears there's a ring that's unseen yes so it could be his fabled ring of wind or air but it could be that he actually doesn't have it, but it just got swept up into these stories. Do you think he has it? Not yet. I think he will, just for the pure satisfaction to himself, and he would never mention it to anyone else. Like, he would create it. I think he has it, because there's some small things in Kavoth's story that he just doesn't really bring up. Mm. And I could see him having made that, like, off-screen, essentially. And he wouldn't really tell Chronicler. Like, this is a tell-all story. We have to remember this is coming from Kavoth as the narrator, so he can omit things as he wants to. Like, the trial and the shipwreck were jumped over, and I feel like this would just be such a perfect little thing to keep to himself and leave everybody wanting to know whether Mm. or not it happened. And it's, oh, but it could be such a good bluff. I don't know. I know. That's what makes this so enjoyable. Darn you, Kavoth. Chapter 150, Folly. The last chapter of the actual retelling of Kavoth's life as a youth. And I think this is the perfect way the book ends as far as telling Kavoth's story as a young arcanist with everything to prove. Well, it ends up kind of not great. <laughs> no, this is awesome, this whole part. The rest of the book gets, like, tough. What? No, the Chancellor's sick, and Master Heme becomes the Chancellor? That's not spelling anything good for Kavod. No, that'll eventually definitely contribute to his downfall in ex- expelling. Thank you. He's <laughs> expelling it from the university, but before I get too ahead of myself, yes. Doc- that was a Dr. Hema. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Herma. The Chancellor, Herma, gets sick and is relieved from his Chancellor duties. Or Sabotage. is he poisoned? Something I picked up on today when I was reading, and then that's what I was actually researching after dinner, was I thought it was 
interesting that everyone said he should get ready very quickly, but then he's actually very, very sick and can't leave the Medica and is having a difficult time, which would lead me to believe he is not just regular sick. That's fair. I will also counter-argue that sometimes people find out they're ill and unfortunately just takes them quickly. Potentially. Um, what but I think you actually, believe foul play is at hand. Yeah, because this is the only way Kvothe's learning Yiddish knots, and I think somebody's trying to stop him from learning Yiddish. <gasps> Sabotage. So s- the top fan theory that I looked up is that actually Denna may be the one who poisoned him, potentially on behalf of someone else, because she shows up at Kvothe's uh, in Imre, and then, or in Ankers, and then disappears right before the Chancellor is poisoned. So maybe it was her acting on behalf of someone else because she's the only one that knows Kavoth is working on Yelish knots besides the Chancellor himself. And she gets pretty mad when she finds out that Kavoth can read her own knots and unties all her knots in her hair so that he can't read them anymore. Hot damn. So potentially... It's a stretch. I don't know if I fully believe it, but there's enough weight to speculate. Well, we know that Dana's learning Yelish knots from her patron. Hmm. And so if she passes on the information that she knows somebody who is learning Yelish knots, or it's like, like another oh, this person is in the midst. Right. right. Who, if we believe Kavoth in the fact that the Lockless Vox might have Yelish knots on the side of it, and Denna's learning with this man, her master, to try to potentially decipher those one day, or like use Yelish knots to get to some deeper knowledge we don't know of yet, you would want to take out the competition, make sure no one else can get there before you. I never even considered that. And Denna doesn't do anything harmful to Kavoth himself, so she might be sparing him the same way she does with the Madeline Farm kind of situation. Ugh, I don't... mm. There was a lot to unpack. I don't want to get too out of context, because I know... I don't either. I just wanted to slip that in there, that it might not be a normal illness. This may have been intentional. All right, I'll save that thought for our book three <laughs> predictions. But if there's like this weird showdown with Kavoth catches Denna and like all cards on the table, and she's like a weird double agent, and she's been doing like sabotage work, oh, it's gonna be heavy. It could be very heavy, but it also could be like poisoning someone is definitely an act of for the greater good, and I will just leave it at that. Mm. Um, unfortunately for Kavoth, Heme becomes the new chancellor, and that is gonna be. Definitely the reason, like you said, he's going to get expelled. <laughs> oh, for sure, unfortunately. So, and speaking of which, during Kavolt's interview for admissions with Heme as chancellor, it was not great. Oh my goodness. He gets a tuition of... 50 talents. Horrible. So the highest he's ever had so far is 20 50 talents is absurd, and of course, we know Kavoth's side deal with the bursar, and he essentially laughs himself all the way to the bank on this one. Yeah, quite literally. <laughs> and I love this final passage of this book, where Kavoth takes all that money, and he hires a stagecoach, and he just gets all his homies, and they go out to a wicked fancy establishment at the King's Arms, and has like a great night of decadence and debauchery and has a wonderful time with friends. 
That is a good way to end the story. You are correct. It's perfect. Where Cavolus was quite literally like a ragged boy, and this is like a rags to riches story, and he's enjoying his success and well, he his gets friends. Two gold marks, which are like golden, like flat bars, essentially mm-hmm. worth ten talents each. So he is rolling in it right now. And I just love the idea that we have this final passage of Kavoth recounting his youth of like, he's home with his friends having a wonderful time. And you can tell that like, it's a really like sappy quote, but it's from the office where it was like, how do you know that the times you're in are like the good times that you'll eventually look back on? And I feel like as Kavoth is now retelling the story, this is one of those moments for him. Yeah. It definitely is. I love that even though Den is not there, like he doesn't let that sour his mood and he just has an amazing and perfect night with all his friends. Yes. Chapter 151, Locks. So Kavoth stops telling the story. So this is our final sort of, it's not even interlude because you don't go back to the story, but we're back in present times. It's Coach, not Kavoth. He's in the Waystone Inn in Naware. And he even mentions, like, this is a great place to end for the night, you know. And on a high. Good friends, money in my pocket, and if we go much farther, things get dark again. Yep. And it's just, uh, he never catches a break, and that's the whole point, is that we know this is not a happy story. It's a tragedy. Or so we think. Well, it's sort of like a Greek tragedy where you have the chorus who kind of tells you this is a tragedy and Coat is his own chorus reminding us in every interlude that this is a tragedy and we all know it's a tragedy. Yep. So we know what's coming. He does stop the story on a high note, which I appreciate, but the last few chapters are fairly dark. Yeah. Where Bost is reeling, I guess you could say. From the story. Because, I mean, there was a lot of events, obviously, where... We later find out that Boss was the one who hired those two thugs to come into the Waystone to provoke Kavoth into an altercation. The fake soldiers. Yes. And, you know, Kavoth, you know, gets his butt kicked. And I think Boss is just frustrated and disappointed because he thought it was going to go another way. And Kavoth almost did let it go another way. And again, I just want to highlight the brilliance of the line. I almost forgot who I was for a second there. That's one of the most cleverly written lines, I think, in this book. It can be interpreted in so many ways, and all of them are equally important. Yes. And Kavoth is kind of just, he's not an old man, but he's an old man, and he's just ready to tuck in for the night and go about his ritual of like methodically cleaning the waystone and doing his thing, leaving Chronicler and Boss to just kind of do their own thing for the rest of the evening. Well, I think he's also remembering, like you said, like, how do you know that that was one of the best times? He's thinking about that now and remembering like how different things used to be for him. And sometimes that can be very melancholy. And even though it's nice to reminisce, it sometimes can feel disappointing. Yes, for sure. A very glory days moment. Yeah. I'm not 100% sure why Bost is so upset. I don't know if it's the disappointment 
in the fact that his plan didn't work. I don't know if there's something in the story that he picked up on that really disappointed him, but he just slinks upstairs to his room and eventually Chronicler taps on his window and lets himself in because Chronicler wants to talk. Yes, and... This conversation goes not where Chronicler is expecting, I think. No, not at all. Initially... I think Chronicler is trying to ask Bost about the Cathay or the Sith, and Bost is like, I don't want to talk about that. If they know we were talking about them, like they would destroy us. They are very dangerous, and you don't understand. Like You are a human, I am a fae, and you are just fundamentally incapable of understanding like how dangerous the Cathay is. And I think this is actually a pretty veiled... Like, like an analogy? Yeah, it's a metaphor for existentialism here. Right? Mm. So Bost is basically saying, no matter what we do, the Cathay has seen the future and has already put us on the path to bad things. There's no way we can get off of them, because even if you change what you would do, the Cathay could have already seen it, interpreted it, and like it is still setting us down the path for destruction. And Chronicler is like, you are giving these examples of things that have happened in the past where the Cathay has led to bad things, so uh, there's a he brings up the fasting ways war, and so he's like, right. So the Cathay gave a boy a flower, but what if that boy threw the flower away, or gave it to someone else, or whatever? And Boss just sort of explains like how they would still end up at civil war, because the Cathay can see all and know all and still put everyone on this path. And so he's basically saying because Kavoth talked to the Cathay, like there is no hope. It is pointless. We're already on this path. Anything we try to do to change it will just result in what the Cathay already saw us doing, and the end has already been decided. Right, and Chronicle actually has a really good rebuttal, if you will, to all this, Mm -hmm. where he starts, you know, hitting Bost, and he gets all upset, and he's about to hit him back, where Chronicle then says, you know, the Cathay set all this in motion, he'd know you'd hit me, and if you attack me, terrible things will come of it, and he's like... If you don't attack me... So he's like, so try to attack me, like try to change the future. Right. And so he kind of just gets all frozen in fear and he's like so confused. He's like, look, like damned if you do, damned if you don't, you just kind of have to live your life and go for it. Right. Whereas Bost has resigned himself to something. And I think it's almost like the butterfly effect where it's like, oh, you know, because, you know, the butterfly effect where it's like a butterfly flaps its wings. Do you know that's what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think Boss is basically saying, like, no matter what we do, like, any small thing is still going to lead us to the end effect. And it could be even the tiniest thing, whereas Chronicles like, no, there are little things out there in the world that, like, the Cathay doesn't have control over. Like, there are still good things. Yes. And it's, like, it's definitely existentialist and, like, positive versus negative outlook on life. And it's... It's a very interesting way that they're talking about it through the Cathay. Right. But it's almost philosophical. Oh, it's very philosophical. And it, in a way, reminds me of this really good book I once read in college called Ishmael. Mm-hmm. Go on. Essentially, it just talks about like man's destruction and downfall. But you can't be, and it's very parallel to this, you can't be so caught up in what the big picture might be that it distracts you from the beautiful moments in between Mm -hmm. and that you just have to look for the joy in the sorrow and do your best to keep going. 
I mean, I think it actually hits home pretty good having had, you know, COVID in 2020 and just like, I think a lot of people felt like things were very up in the air and different and scary for the past couple of years. And so you can take the boss perspective of like, well, everything's going to be crap anyway. So like, why bother? Why care? It's just all the side is going to be bad. Or you can be like chronicler and say like, you can try to change things and like they might still end up being bad, but at least you have the good things in between that you have worked for. Not only that, and I 100% agree with that thought and mindset, but having the validation and joy of the sense of control of just putting the effort towards something just because. Yeah. And I think it's like, you can be in control of your own life or you can't. Right. And so Chronicler tries to tell him that. And Boss's like, fine. I'm just going to be completely in control of myself with no consequences because I think the world is like not going great anyway. And he ends up leaving. But what he's actually doing is going off to meet the false soldiers, like you said. So we don't actually get to what Chronicler was trying to ask about because they get totally derailed in this side conversation. Right. And as this conversation gets disrupted or wrapped up, we have Kavoth in his room. Kind of by himself. And this is just such a sad, broken man. And I just, my heart really bleeds for Kavoth in this moment because he takes out his thrice locked chest. And I really just, you can just feel the emotions outpour in these passages where he's just so tired and at this point, like begging for change. Like in this moment, it's like a moment of weakness for him where. He's willing to give up the facade of being co and try and reclaim who he is by opening the chest. Right. And in my personal theory, get his name back. I agree with that. I think that is what's going on with the box. I think he he has the keys, so he ends up putting a copper key and an iron key in. So again, the two metals that we know are fairly important. But it doesn't do anything. And so when Coat was once Kavoth... He was able to seal it, but now he's quite literally sealed his fate. Yep. Because it's too, it's been too long and he cannot open his thrice locked chest. And it's just, even the line where it was like he just kind of gave it a weary long sigh and just gave up after he couldn't do it. And it wasn't like he cried or he, you know, grieved or. He was just resigned and just kind of empty about it. Yeah. It's almost funny. He says, like, Edro to the box at one point, which is what he says when he's with the bandits. And he, like, smacks his hand on the lid of the mayor's box yes. and says Edro and it opens. So it's it's a little callback to that and, like, how things used to just sort of come to him. Yes. The vibrancy and vigor of, like, youth and hopefulness. Yeah. And that sort of magical element that used to sort of surround Gavoth is so long gone and he's just sort of this empty bag (laughs) i don't know how to describe it yeah he's just kind of empty yeah chapter 152 elderberry so we find out that bost has left the waystone inn after his conversation with chronicler to catch up to the men who he had hired earlier and these men are celebrating they're all excited. They've got the money that they took from Kavoth as well as the, the drinks. So they're um, doing like the equivalent of eeny, meeny, money mo to pick what drink they're going to drink. And 
boss shows up and they're like, you look really sad. Like, you look like your dog died. Yeah. And he's like, you're soaked all the way through. Like, come sit by the fire and have a drink. And boss is like, well, nothing's all right. Yes. And the guys start trying to defend themselves, be like, well, we followed your plan. So, like, if the guy found out, like, it's not our fault. And that's such small potatoes right now to Bost feeling like he had this plan, but it's more than that. Like, sure, this little scheme was one thing, but it's it's the scheme and, like, pushing Kavoth to remember who he is and remember all these things that he had done and it doesn't seem to be working. And I think this is getting to be his last ditch efforts. Mm. And so he's just feeling fairly defeated, which is paralleling how Kavoth's feeling, I think as well. Right. And so boss is mentioning like he didn't get what he wanted. And at this point he's kind of singing this rhyme of like, different drinks and berries and whatnot and it's kind of like a eeny meeny miny mo kind of thing i think it's a continuation of what the guys were saying earlier like the further on verses yes Ugh, but i love the descriptions of boss when he is feeling these intense emotions there were several of them in his conversation with chronicler but how inhuman boss can become so like he's looking at the two men and he's laughing with them and usually that's like camaraderie and everything but it says it was a terrible sound jagged and joyless it was no human laugh and like we do kind of forget that bost is like ancient and powerful sometimes but holy moly like he's scary when he wants to be (laughs) right and this is what i'm kind of talking about where he's so mad and frustrated that kavoth wasn't able to rise to the occasion and that these guys harm the person he cares about so when he's kind of singing the song it's kind of like him going eeny, meeny, miny, mo, And like... Oh, yeah. He's holding a, a burning branch, like pointing it at the men. Yeah. And so without it even being told, it's essentially given away that he's going to kill these men now. Right. I think it's also he can't let the story get out. No. So he has to silence them. Speaking of which, we are now come to the epilogue. A silence of three parts. And it's the same structure and format of the prologue and the epilogues that we've seen so far. The Waystone Inn has the silence of three parts. There's the silence made by things that were lacking. So, like, the inn is empty. There's no music. Of course, there's no music. There's no people there. So, like, it's just an empty building. Then there's the silence of... The outside, so, like, there's distant party going on for Shep's funeral, and I think it's, like, the silence of not being included in that and, like, being isolated from the town. And then the third silence is Kavoth's silence. And again, what we believe to be his Chandrian sign. Yes. His curse, his sign, make of it what you will. The patient cut flower sound of a man waiting to die. And that is the conclusion of the wise man's fear. Damn. And it's always so funny, like, after every time I read this, that my mind instantly is like, all right, start from the beginning, let's do it again. Because you pick up on so many things every time, and I know we did our best efforts at a deep dive, but I think we could easily go through this again and again and find 
more and more and more and more. Oh, absolutely. So, listeners, thank you so much. With the upcoming kind of cover-all episodes we're going to be doing that just are a big debrief on all the books, if you have predictions or thoughts of what you think is going to be happening in Doors of Stone, please send us a message. We would love to include them in our discussion. You can hit us up on Facebook or on Instagram at Fantastic Books Pod. We also have our webpage, fantasticbookspod.com, where you can send us an email through right through the website. But I know there's fan theories that we missed and tidbits we overlooked, and I would just love you guys to send us your like favorite predictions or thoughts or your favorite moments from the books so that we can cover them all in our like big debrief yes. episode covering these first two books of the Kingkiller Chronicles. And that way we can all, in a way, celebrate together. And until next time, readers, happiest of readings. Thanks, listeners. If you're looking for more, check us out at fantasticbookspod.com, where we have book reviews, reading list suggestions, merch, and you can even send us a message. Or find us on Facebook and Instagram at Fantastic Books Pod. And if you like what you've been hearing, don't forget to leave us a review. Thanks. Thanks.